when I got here, I went back there in the prayer room, and they was praying for me, and I was shaking like a leaf. I mean, I had uh, minor hypothermia. Uh, couldn't feel anything in my fingers, nothing in my face. My toes were all froze up, and I was shaking like a leaf. I mean, I, it was just like that, and I wasn't exaggerating. And so I'm sure they felt like I was all full of the spirit and everything, which is fine. <laughs> but actually, man, I was about to freeze to death. And uh, it, I've just now stopped shaking. I mean, it's unbelievable how it happens. So Sharon, this morning, she said, you've got leather glove, or electric gloves. Why don't you plug them in? Because I'm a guy. <laughs> and we don't do things like that. And uh, so she had an opportunity this morning to say, I told you so, which uh, made her day. So I was glad I was able to do that for her. Uh, I've been in Nazarene Church all my life. It's what we do as Middendorfs. Uh, we just, we go to church all the time. That's all we do. We're born, I was born on the campus of Trevecca Nazarene College, almost on the pew of uh, College Hill Church in Nazarene. And uh, lived there on campus. And all my aunts and uncles, grandparents, grandma, everybody went to Trevecca. It's just what you did. It's grade 13 when your last name's Middendorf. So you just go there. So I blew, to, blew off two years, uh, made every musical traveling group you could make, and didn't go anywhere because I was on academic probation the whole time I was there. So uh, I was there in spirit. And all you college kids, don't listen to anything I'm saying because it's not good. You're not supposed to do that. But I didn't have any purpose in going to Trevecca other than that's what we did in my family. Everybody goes to Trevecca. So that's where I went. It's a great place. Uh, I'm sure you can get a good education there if you try. And uh, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, ended up going back to Nazarene Bible College at the age of 50. Go to college when you got brain cells. That's when you need to go, when things are working up there. And, and you can read and remember what it was you read, and you don't go to sleep while you're reading and those kinds of things. Do it when you're young. You know, drink Red Bull and Monster and all those things and stay up all night long and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, by the time I was 50, I had outgrown all the caffeine stuff that you could ever drink, and so none of it worked on me. So the minute I sat down to go to read something, I'd fall asleep. But I made it through. It took me six years. But I made it through and finished that four-year degree and, uh, and, and became a, a biker, became a pastor, an ordained elder. And how in the world did that happen to me? Well, I was a minister of music for years at, uh, in North Carolina at the church that we came from. We were at one church for 40 years. Can you believe that? One church for 40 years. We got mad at a lot of people in 40 years. You know, you can build up. You can build up a whole lot of mad in 40 years. I got mad at Jesus so many times, I can't remember uh, how many times it was. It's just the way it is when, it, when you're in the church. And, and I was a minister of music dressed just like your preacher was, khaki pants, creased, uh, penny loafers, button-down, eyes-odd shirts, you know, the whole bit. Short hair, no tattoos, no piercings, nothing like that. Went to a church growth conference in Grove City uh, up here in Ohio. The whole mess started here. So came to Grove City to learn to be a better minister of music and studied under Travis Laws for like a day and a half or two days or something like that. It's all a fog now. Met a guy named Steve Combs for 10 minutes. Stood next to his Harley-Davidson to talk to him about biker ministry for about 10 minutes, and that's all I remember about the whole weekend. Don't remember anything Travis Laws said. It wouldn't have made any difference anyway. I can't be him. So I just left there with this calling on my life to be a pastor to bikers I did not own a bike I did not know any bikers I didn't have anything to do with bikers mama always said they was mean and ugly and would get you in trouble and so I always did what mama said except for school and so <laughs> I just never hung around them I never met any 
had no reason to. Never went to a Harley store, never was interested in Harleys or Hondas or Yamahas or Suzukis or anything. Didn't particularly care. As soon as God called me to be a biker pastor, which I thought was a mistake, I'm sure he's made two or three. I mean, we're all here, so uh, I'm sure he's made a few, but I thought, well, you were shooting for the guy that was sitting next to me in the service, and, you know, the, the, the spirit ricocheted off somebody else and hit me by mistake, so that's just the way it is. So I argued with God for like six months about this biker calling. Well, any of you that have ever, has God has ever asked you to do something and you tried arguing with him, you know that you can't win because he just starts to change your heart and change your mind towards what he wants you to do. So there's no winning in that. So eventually I surrendered to this biker thing and uh, probably the person that had the most grief about it was my mom because she didn't like motorcycles, didn't like us coming to Nashville to see her from North Carolina and she would, she'd fret, you know, like mamas do and and uh, so about the third time I went back to Nashville to see her, of course, she'd always say, well, how are you coming? You're coming in the truck, right? I go, no, no, we're, we're riding the bikes. Oh, I wish you wouldn't. They just make me so nervous. And so, but I'd do it anyway. We'd ride the bike. Sharon has her own, and we would ride together and loved it. Well, about the third trip home after I got my call in biker ministry, I, I had long sleeves on. And uh, I said, you know, Mama, uh, you know, bikers... Bikers do things that are sometimes different from regular people. And uh, she went, uh-huh, let me see it. She knew I got a tattoo. I mean, she just knew I got one without me even saying. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I break it to her, you know, without breaking her heart? Well, she already knew. I don't know how she knew. I guess that's what mamas do. So she knew. So she said, well, let me see it. So I showed it to her, and she said, well, that's nice. <laughs> she was not thrilled. When God calls us to do something and when he lands in our hearts with a calling, there's not much you can do about it. It's going to happen. You can fight with it and you can delay the inevitable, but God is going to win. He's big. He's awesome. He created you. He knows what you're about and he is going to win, so, so don't fight. It's just a waste of time. That's what I found out. I'm going to sing a song for you this morning just to kick it off uh, that talks about that calling and, and why it's impossible to argue with him. Let's do that one. Some of you may know this song because it may have happened to you or it may be happening now. So listen up. Well, he picked up dust and he threw it forth. And he made a man that could walk And an eagle that could fly Then he sent forth the light He said, let it be Then he made the starry, starry night He made the raging sea And one day when I was walking all alone He laid his hand on me He laid his hand on me the song that the songbirds sing and made the earth spin round the sun ain't that the coolest thing and he made a fish that could swim upstream and he made those tiny little wings for that big old bumblebee and one day when I was walking all alone Laid his hand on me. 
Yes, he laid his hand on me. Well, words cannot tell it, cause it's better felt than told. The way he changed my life when he reached down for my soul. And when you hear the message from the man himself, you won't have to hear it from anybody else. He gave me a light, said to let the thing shine. Me a bell, he said to ring it song, he said to sing it with me all the time. He gave me a hope that will see me through all the trouble that I have down here, anything that makes me blue. Cause one day when I was walking all alone, he laid his hand on me. Yes, he laid his hand on me. Well, words cannot tell it Cause it's better felt than told The change he made in my life When he reached down for my soul And when you hear the message From the man himself You won't have to hear it From anybody else He gave me a light He said to let the thing shine gave me a bell, he said to ring it song, he said to sing it, he's with me all the time, he gave me a hope that will see me through, all the trouble that I have down here, anything that makes me blue, cause one day when I was walking all alone, laid his hand on me, yes he laid his hand on me, hand on me yes he laid his hand on me and he'll do that to you too so be ready for it it'll happen now we gather here today as lots of different kind of people some are here that are bikers that have become believers some are believers that have become bikers. They're the most dangerous kind. <laughs> Some are bikers with no belief in anything other than themselves and their ride. And we come here today, some of us, with different beliefs, different feelings about how things are supposed to be in our hearts and in our lives. But... If you're a biker today, we all have one thing in common. We ride. And those that don't, don't understand. And so we have one of these shirts that says, if I have to explain it, you wouldn't understand. Until you've been out there and had a bug as big as a quarter fly in your mouth. You cannot understand. Until you've had the pleasure on a long, hot summer day of riding past a possum that's been on the road for three or four days, you don't understand. I cannot explain that to you. It's a fragrance that just goes beyond. You don't get that much of it in your car when you go past it. But in a bike, 
and it jumps on you and rides with you for a long time. And those of you, I can see those of you that know what I'm talking about, you're going, how does that happen? How does that happen? But it does. You don't have to hit it. You don't have to come, really come very close to it. But that smell will be with you to the first rest stop. The other thing that we have in common is that we're all human and we all have human tendencies. Now, some of those tendencies are good, but some aren't. Here are some of them. Pride and joy and anger and lust, resentment, sadness, regret, dreams, hopes, hurts, habits, hang-ups. Anybody here perfect? Good. In good company. They can cause us, these tendencies, they can cause us to question our stability. Some of us today... Let me ask you, when you were a kid and you played uh, baseball in your neighborhood, how many strikes did you get? When you played baseball, and most of the time it was a stick and a dirt clod, or, well, some of you aren't, aren't old enough to understand what a dirt clod is. But, uh, but if, say, you had wiffle ball, wiffle ball bat or bat, or a regular old baseball green thing that's been laying out in the yard for a while, and you had a bat, how many strikes did you get if you were the youngest person on the team? Come on, say that. No, you didn't get three, you got four. Everybody else got three. You were the youngest one, or you got picked last, so you got four. That was compensation for getting picked last. You always got four. There was something else that we always got when we played. If we went past the four strikes, you would ask for a do-over. How many of you had to do how many golfers do we have in here that know what a mulligan is? A mulligan does not exist. There's no such thing as a mulligan. Right. What a mulligan is, is when you hit a shot so bad that you know you can't find the ball, then you holler, mulligan, to everybody else you golf with because they also know what a mulligan is because you wouldn't golf with anybody else or nobody else would golf with you because you call mulligans. Mulligans is a do-over. How many of you sometimes wish you could have a do-over in your life? How many of you have sometimes, yeah, I hear you. How many, how, you do something, you go, oh, man. It again. When I was a kid growing up in church in Nazarene, this was my second home. Right here, this altar. And my, my theme song was Just As I Am. And every time they sang my theme song, I came to the altar because I just thought that's what I was supposed to do because I had always done something that week that wanted me to have a do-over. Because I'd hear this great sermon or I'd sleep through a great sermon on Sunday or, or Wednesday or Sunday night or during revival times if we had those and and I would listen, and I would, I would go down, and I'd go, I got it. I got it this time. And then the first time, the preacher would preach again, and I'd go, oh, maybe I didn't. And they'd sing just as I am, and they'd sing all nine verses. And then they'd start to repeat it, and the guy would always say, uh, Donnie Biggs would always say, I know there's somebody here that needs to come down. So we're going to sing one more verse. If nobody comes. We're going to close. How many Nazarenes we got here? You got a testimony? Nobody comes. We're going to close. Well, I'm sitting there on the back row, and my, I got gripped. I got gripped on that back pew like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I'm just about breaking the wood on that thing going, somebody go. Please, somebody go. Because I know that he's talking about me. Because I know what I did that week, and I know it wasn't what I was supposed to, and I wanted to do over so bad I could taste it. But they'd sing another one, and nobody would come, and I'd go, how do they know? 
how do they know it's me? So I'd go down. Service would end. We'd all go to Hardy's. And everything was fine. But that was my theme song, Just As I Am. And the reason that is my theme song is that's because that's just who I am. God is always talking to me. And I don't ever feel like I've got it right. Well, I got good news for you today. I want to talk to you about a show that's been on Discovery Channel for a while, and it has that word in it, overhauled. It's called overhauling or overhauled. And, and they, what they do is they steal some guy. Some guy's got this wreck. I mean, just a, just a wreck. I used, a, I used the example of a 1964-and-a-half Mustang. If you know anything about Ford Mustangs, you know there was a change in body style between 64 and 65, so they called it a 64-and-a-half, and they're collector's items because they didn't make that many. And so somebody say somebody's got a 1964-and-a-half Mustang uh, coupe, uh, and it's been sitting out in the garage. The guy got it on a repo or something like that, and he made a real good deal on it. He figured, well, in the next two or three years, I'll get to work on it, and I'll fix that baby up, and, and I'll have a fine car. And it sits there for like 25 years because he gets married, and then kids come, and then college comes, and then uh, grandkids come, and so he just, he just hadn't had the money to do it, and so it just sits there. A couple of his friends know how much he loves that car and knows what he wants to do with it and what his plans are because he talks ad nauseum about it, but he never does anything about it. So they go, we'll fix him. So they get in touch with a guy named Chip Foos. We got that slide? Somebody said they had a Chip Foos slide. There we go. That's what Chip does to old cars. That, I don't know what that was when it started, but what it is now is a dream car. And he takes that 64-and-a-half Mustang, and Chip Foos designs, makes a drawing like that. And that is not a photograph. That's a drawing. That's a Chip Foos drawing. That's the way they are. they got shine on them, and they're just beautiful. Well, Chip Foos is like the world's best at doing that. And they get him, and he looks at this old car, and he designs the way it's supposed to look to make this guy just unbelievably happy. And so they bring in all the best body and paint guys and the engine guys. And, they, and there's a company called Edelbrock. Uh, and Edelbrock brings in, make, they make parts that on their boxes says may not be street legal. <laughs> that sells a lot of Edelbrock parts because they just, you know, they want that. That means it's too fast. And everybody wants that. So they order all this Edelbrock stuff and they put on exhaust manifolds and carburetors and all this other kind of stuff and, and it really makes it run fast and then they bring in these paint and body guys and they do all this work with the with the and if there's too much rust on a piece of metal they just take the metal away bring in a new piece of metal make another body part to exactly match the car that's how good they are they're the top of what they do the top in their profession then after a while they and this whole time this guy thinks his car has been stolen and his friend's in on it, and his friend's going, oh, man, I know how much you love that car. And they're building it up to some big pitch thing, you know. And so they got cops and lawyers and all these people in on the trick, and, and they have some, it's always some really seedy-looking guy from North Carolina that comes in. He's driving a wrecker, you know, and, and he's, he's the one that hauled it off. And uh, so he's in on it, too, and it's just hilarious because they got this, he's just crying because he's never going to see his car again. And then whoever was in on it, his wife or his girlfriend or, or his best bud or whatever, they bring him to this place where they've done this car up, and they have the big unveil. And it's funny because these guys just go into tears. 
my baby, my baby. You know, they're looking at it. It's always what I wanted, the right color. And everything. how did you know? You know, that's mess. And, uh, and it's, it's really emotional for the guy. He finally gets his car back, and it's in top shape. Well, i got to tell you something today. There's a friend here today that thinks the world of you, and he has set you up because he has taken that old worn-out thing of yours, that old body of yours, that old soul of yours, and he has performed an overhaul on it. That man's name is Jesus Christ, and when he walked up Calvary's hill and hung on that cross, a transformation began in all those do-overs that you have and that you want, and all those rusty body parts that you've got, and all that stinking thinking that you've got. And he has new things for you. And there's a scripture that says this, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that you would be overhauled. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him will be overhauled. Preachers can do that, you know. We can change scripture to fit our purpose. And that's what I just did. Do not look up in any version of the Bible because you will not find it in there. So why is it that we are such a mess, and how is it that God and Christ, through his sacrifice, his death on the cross, how is it that he can do a chip foose thing on us? Well, let's understand where we came from. First, God created us in his own image. In his own image, he created us. And his image includes the opportunity for us to make choices. I often wonder, why would God do something like that? Why wouldn't God just make us to love him? And all these things that we have in the Word, the Ten Suggestions, I mean the Ten Commandments, those things that we are to live by, why didn't He just make us so that that was automatic? Seems like it would have been a much easier world. You know, we wouldn't have had Adam and Eve then because they would have not eaten from the tree of life because it would have been put into them not to do that. Just make the right choice. Or don't even make a choice at all. It's programmed. You're pre-programmed to do what God wants you to do. Well... As we are created in His image, one of those things that God has is the ability to make a choice. And so, made in His image means we have that same choice. Besides, what if your kids were pre-programmed to love you all the time? And they never did it on their own. They did it because that's just what they're supposed to do. What would that mean? I think we'd have to rename it. I don't think it'd be called love anymore. I don't even think it would need a name. Imagine a world without love, without making the choice to love someone. So God gave us the ability to choose to love him or not. We don't do very well in that department sometimes. We tend to make choices based on what we want, not what he wants. And it's not that you're bad, it's that you're human. For when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God said, You may eat from any tree except the tree of life. And of the tree of life you shall not eat. For if you eat of the tree of life, surely you will die. Satan marches up or crawls up and says, Ah, he's just kidding. You won't die. You just be smart. And so the woman, she goes over there, you know, and she grabs at whatever it is, the fruit of the, light, the tree of life, and pops it down and takes a bite out of it. You know, and the world just went to pot. 
Though they laughed a lot more about that in the first one than you guys are doing in this one, I'll tell you that. So it's all the woman's fault. And then, uh, ah, that's what I was looking for. So then the weak bone, weak backbone man came up and said, hey, what you got? You know, and so she handed him and said, yeah, it looks good. I'll eat too. You know, so it's, it's both ways. We're both to blame. If we'd have had any backbone, we'd have gone, oh, that's wrong. You should take that back. But that didn't happen. So because we're human and because we have this opportunity to choose, we choose badly sometimes. We choose badly a lot, uh, evident by all the people out there that aren't riding Harleys. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't understand it, but it's, it just happens. We make choices. Uh, just a little thing about Harley or, or bike riders. Another thing you know when you ride a bike is that we wave. You know, you've been behind a car. If you don't ride and you've been behind some bikers or something, and you'll notice that whenever a biker comes the other way, you, they give it that wave. Well, there's this, uh, there's this legend that uh, Harley riders don't wave at anybody else. They just wave at other Harley riders. Well, that probably was once the truth. But now Honda and Yamaha and Suzuki and all of them make their bikes to look so much like a Harley that you can't really tell the difference when they're coming towards you. You can sort of see when they, go, when they pass you. So what we do, we, we wave at everybody, but then when we notice it's not a Harley, we race it when they go by. So <laughs> if you're riding and you see somebody and they go, hey, and then they do like that, that means didn't mean it. Uh, wrong bike and so we erased it and uh, so just watch for that because it's pretty tricky and uh, it takes takes our eyes off the road a lot too so that's why we we don't do so well but we have these choices that we make and and God has this plan he made us to choose he destined us to live under his direction but he wants us to love him because we want to love him not because he wants us to love him he did not design us to automatically love Him and to worship Him and to fellowship with Him. He did not make us to automatically read His Word, spend time with Him in prayer, fast for others. He did not create us to love each other unconditionally as He does. And so that's something that we have to work at. And for some of us, that's a hard thing to do. The reason there is biker ministry these days, at least the reason that I think I was called to biker ministry these days, was so that on the outside, when we go outside and ask people to come in to church, we don't do it in a threatening kind of way. See, I love the church. The church is my home. It's where I grew up. The family of God, the fellowship of the church, is what raised me as a kid. It's why I'm here today. It's why I heard the call. Because I love the church. I love what the church stands for. Is it perfect? Goodness, no. Is any place perfect? No. It, might, it is until we come in. People, this is a beautiful church until we start coming in here. And then we bring all of our imperfections in. You don't argue with the pews. You don't argue with the screen. You don't argue with the piano. You argue with each other. I mean, that's just the way it is. We're not perfect. And so we, we have problems. But I want bikers to know that are out there on the street whose these are their church clothes. I want those guys and those ladies to know that the church is a good place. And that God is not just in here. He's out there too. And I would also like for bikers to know that when you come into a church dressed like this, looking like you look, 
with all your habits and your hang-ups and your smells and all this other kind of stuff, your tattoos and your piercings and your long hair, that the people in that church do not judge you because of that. They just welcome you and they love you because you're one of God's creations just like they are. Because see, that's how God loves us. He doesn't look at what's on the outside, as the pastor said. He looks at the heart. He looks at who we are inside. He also doesn't look at what we do. It's not just by works. Do you believe in me? Do you love me? That's what he wants to know. Because he loves us unconditionally. And that's what he expects us to do with everybody else. We've rebelled against that plan, the plan that he has for us. We've gone our own way and tried to find a, a better way to do it, thinking that there is a better way than he has laid out. And so that's where we get into trouble. That's where we find that we've strayed. The further you stray from God, the further God will allow you to stray from him. But do you know what happens when you turn around and decide to go back? He's right there with arms wide open, anticipating your return. Because not only did he make you to love him, he is made to love you continuously and unconditionally. And so as in his image, we are also to love each other unconditionally. Now, I know it's not easy to, to drive down the street on a Saturday night and you come up in front of a biker bar and there's 50 or 60 bikes out front and there's beer cans and there's liquor bottles and there's, there's all sorts of mess going on and it's really loud and it's smoky and, and my goodness, you're a Nazarene. You're not supposed to have anything to do with that. You're not even supposed to look at that. I grew up a Nazarene. I had a Baptist friend. I, I almost got the worst beating in my life when I went to the Baptist church on a Sunday night. And it wasn't because I skipped my church, just because I went to a Baptist church. My mama, she was Nazarene. She was Pilgrim Holiness first, and then she was Nazarene. Boy, I tell you what, Baptists, they were on the other side. And uh, she said, don't you ever go to that church again. They smoke. You know, for a 12-year-old, they what? They smoke. You can't go over there. They smoke. Well, see, all these things that we've set up to be barriers between us, God did not put those there. We put those there. See, God wants us to be, and take this, take this correctly the way I'm saying it, God wants us to be in that bar with them, loving them, hugging them, loving them unconditionally, bringing them to the Father. Whether they come to this church or not is immaterial. Whether they ever find their place up in the choir loft or, or serving in the church is immaterial. What God wants is he wants us as his children to do what he has told us to do, and that is to go and make disciples, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And one of the things that he commanded us was to go and make disciples. Now, it's easy for us to stand back and to look at somebody that looks like me and say, oh, they, they, can't, they can't be Christian. They just don't look right. Do you think God does that? Do you think God looks at bikers that are in the bar, five sheets to the wind, and say, oh, they're no good? No, I don't think so. Because I think he was thinking of them when he was hanging on the cross. When he was preparing to die and it was his last breath was there, he did not say, I'm doing this today for everybody that goes to church and not anybody else. If you go to church on Sunday, every Sunday, then I'm up here for you. No, he didn't. He said, I'm up here for every sinner, every body, every 
person that's been created by my Father. I am here for them. And he died for them. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. With that same kind of love, we are to reach out and to love each other. We are to do that because it is commanded of us. What often gets in our way is our separation from him. Not, not a physical separation so much, but as a spiritual separation. We've heard ever since we were, we've been in church that you are to read your Bible and you are to pray. That is not a requirement of the church. That is not a requirement of what of somebody's not taking a role there. Now, even in Sunday school, they said, did you memorize your memory verse? Yes. Well, can you say it to me? Sure. That was to help us, to exercise us, to get us in the habit of doing the things that we're supposed to do. Bikers, do you change your oil on your bike? Do you, do you take care of your bike? Do you know that if you don't change the oil on your bike, you know what happens to the oil on your bike? It eventually all goes out the exhaust pipe, loud as it can be. It just all, it goes out. Eventually it will burn up, and eventually you will have inside your engine the hottest metal that you could ever imagine. And then one day as you're going along about 75 miles an hour, that engine will just go, I'm done, and it will lock up. And you're in big trouble when that happens. Because when you're on two wheels and it stops real quick, it's not pretty. Uh, it'll make a little noise. It'll sound really, really bad. And then you won't hear much. Because you'll be sliding across the asphalt. The only thing you'll hear is the rush of pavement by your ear. Take care of your bike. It's easy to understand. Change the oil. Make sure there's enough oil in there. You know what they call an oil light on a bike? An idiot light. It's an idiot light. Idiot, you didn't change your oil. You didn't check the oil before you got on the road. When that comes on, it's saying, idiot. It's not oil. It's idiot. It's an idiot light. Change the oil. Now, where am I going with that? Read the Word. The Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Word, through God's Word written for us. It's never old. It's always current, and it's always ready. Talk to your Father. He wants to hear from you. He has things He wants to tell you. They're not always loud. They're not always from a microphone and a platform in a church. They're oftentimes, for me, while I'm riding. Now, if you don't ride a bike, well, where am I going to get it from? In your car, when you walk, as you lay down at night, and everything is quiet, your Father speaks to you. And He says... I don't want you to read my word and I don't want you to speak to me because that's a rule of the church. I want that because I love you and I have so much to tell you about your life and about how I want to see your life and the things that I have in store for you. There is a grace called provenient grace. Provenient grace is God wooing us reaching out to us. Let me ask you a question. The first time you ever dated somebody, ever was kind of more than a crush, but sometimes a crush. When you're walking down, you, maybe you're going to the high school football game, and you haven't gotten the nerve of, this is the first date, so you're really you know, kind of panicky right now, and you've, you've just met, and you think you like her, or, or you like him, or whatever, and you're walking along, all of a sudden the back of your hand brushes, and you didn't mean to. It wasn't like you were trying to hold her hand or anything. It just, you just kind, of, just kind of brushes. You remember that feeling, that electric feeling of, <gasps> you remember that? 
that's, that's the spark. That's the spark. It might not end up turning into real love, but it's a spark of knowing that that person and, and you are, you've, you've, you've got something. And then you begin to woo that person. You do whatever it takes to woo that person into your life. Chocolate, flowers, whatever it is. You woo them. Hamburgers, five guys with extra fries, you know, whatever it is. You're, you're wooing them in. And, and I can tell you're getting hungry because that struck pretty close, didn't it? <laughs> well, see, this is what God does through his word. He woos us. He loves us so much. And we have turned that love into obligation a lot of times. We've turned it, oh, if I don't do this, and he won't do this. If I don't do this, and he won't do this. If I don't act this way, he won't do this for me. He won't bless me if I don't do this. That's not the way it is, folks. He stands ready, wooing you, attracting you to him because he loves you unconditionally. All your rust, all your bad paint, all your cracked leather, all the stuff that our old junk car used to be, your old junk self used to be, he wants to make that through his power the greatest thing that's ever been. Because he's already proud of you just as you are. He doesn't need you to look any better. He doesn't need for you to act any better. He loves you just the way you are. But by loving him back, you will act better. You will look better. You will be better because of that relationship with him. Now, I need to ask you this morning, are, do you need an overhaul? Are there some parts of you that are about to rust through? Are there parts of you that are about to fall off spiritually because you haven't given them the attention that they need to have? Chip Foose draws out a drawing of a beautiful car. God drew a picture of a cross. And on that cross, he placed his son, who knew all about what it was to have faults. Fully God, fully man. Tempted as we are tempted, but without sin. The only perfect sacrifice that was ever made for man was Jesus Christ. He wants your life to be overhauled. He wants your life to be as perfect as it can possibly be, but you can't do that without him. If you try, you'll just keep doing the same old things that you've always done and getting the same distance that you've always got. With him, you get some traction. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. He died for you just like you are. Not like he wants you to be. He died for you just like you are. Knowing him, letting him have your way with your life will make you like he wants you to be. He loves you desperately. And he wants you to be a part of him desperately. Now, in... In services like this, as a, as a pastor, 
I never want to bring a message where I don't give people an opportunity to say, you know, I, I might not be exactly what I need to be. Maybe I need a do-over. Maybe I need an extra strike. Maybe I just need to go and say that I want to. I want to really bad. I want to be all that you want me to be. But I can't do it in my own strength. Well, folks, I got news for you today. Nobody can do it in their own strength. We have to have the Lord in His strength. There are altars in this church. Uh, I'm, I'm most proud of the Nazarene church because we still have altars, places to come. They are not places of magic. They are not places where you come and you get something. Most of the time, they're places where you come and you leave something. So if you come down today, don't expect to pick anything up from here. Expect to leave something here. That thing that is causing you not to spend the time that you need to spend with the Lord, leave that here. That thing that drags you down and makes you less than you can be, leave that here. Because when you leave this place without that, that leaves a hole. And that hole, by the time you turn around and walk out, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Will be filled by the strength of Christ, who wants desperately to be all in all in you. I'm going to sing a song to close with this morning. It's an old song. It's kind of an odd invitation song because it's a praise song. It's a song that lifts him up and says, It is well with my soul. Now, who's, who sings an invitation song that says something that's already been done? I do. It is well with my soul. That is my testimony. And that is my testimony because I've allowed him to overhaul me take all those parts of me that I couldn't do anything with and I've given them to him and he has made my life into what it is perfect no good yeah blessed absolutely my biggest blessing in life is to know bikers that don't know him because then I know I'm in the right spot I'm where he wants me to be there's no better place you can be than where he wants you to be. This church also loves you. If you're from this area and you're a biker and you're looking for a place, this church will love you beyond anything you can imagine. And I don't know this church very well, but I know the church. And I know people in the church. And I know what they've done for me. And I know what they'll do for you. If you want that touch of an overhauling today, as I sing this song, you come to these wooden altars and leave something here. Would you? Go ahead.